RushOrderTees.com has been Philadelphia's number one custom apparel company since 2002. Whether you need one or a thousand shirts, Rush Order Tees can handle any order on any deadline. Start designing online today in their online design studio or give them a call at 1-800-620-1233. That's RushOrderTees.com, Philadelphia's home for custom apparel. Hey, here we are. We're back live again. It's like a double header today um, with the 76 Capital Leadership Series. I'm really excited to be joined today by Ari Evans, the CEO of Maestro, our new 76 Capital Portfolio Company CEO. Ari, welcome. Thanks for having me, Wayne. Good to be here. Yeah, it's really exciting. Exciting to have you. I can't wait to hear your story and hear all the things that you've done. I mean, you provide, you gave us an amazing bio. Of, of all the things you've done. Um, I'll take a second, you know, I'm sure your, your parents will love to hear you, uh, hear the story, you know, the, the background of Ari, right? So, you know, Ari is, is an industry leader when it comes to, as a creator, he's building, he builds amazing relationships with his audiences. He invents new tools and best practices and does things with live, you know, with streaming and engagement and monetization tools that, you know, are truly innovative. Uh, prior to starting Maestro, Ari was a product manager at Zynga, and we'll talk about Zynga. And for some people that maybe not did, won't don't know Zynga and the game industry that you've been involved with in a long time, um, it started some of the biggest games um, called Cityville, um, was one of the biggest games on Facebook. And before that, he was at Goldman Sachs. And then, oh man, your parents were just so proud of you. I mean, you went to you have a um, a graduate degree, a graduate degree at Stanford and undergrad at Cornell. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Well, Ari, again, welcome to our show. Awesome. Thanks so much for the great intro. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think one of the things I'd love to, to start off on, and a lot of times we, we do this, and this morning we had a great interview with the Michael Jordan of Israel, Tal Brody. Wow. Um, really amazing, amazing conversation with him and hearing his story, how he grew up in New Jersey, and then was went to Illinois and was was a Hall of Famer at, at Illinois, but then went to Israel and did his amazing things that he did in the in the basketball world as well as as many other things. And now in the tech world, um, in, in in Israel. But let me hear your story. I want to hear the story of of Ari Evans and and how and all the things that you did as a kid and where you grew up. That would be great to hear. All right. So I'm from Maryland, the suburbs of Maryland. And my whole life has really been living at the intersection of gaming and technology and business in some way, or media, technology, and business, I guess is a good way to put it. So I got my start selling Pokemon cards on eBay when I was 12. That was like my first entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, that, this was back when with eBay, you had to go get a money order from a bank and then send it to someone and then wait three days for the seller to get it and then wait for them to acknowledge it and send it to you. You never even know if you were going to get your package. The way I found out about the internet in the first place was from all those AOL CDs they used to mail to the house. And my dad was just like, here, figure out what this is. <laughs> so yeah, I got exposed to the internet at a pretty young age and was just really into it. Learned how to code websites with the first versions of HTML and some basic coding. I went to like a coding sports summer camp, if you can believe that, like 15 years ago. I guess my parents knew what wow. they were trying to throw me into. Um, in high school, 
I had another business in video games, which I, I played a game called EverQuest, which was a huge, massively multiplayer online game, kind of like World of Warcraft, like the precursor. And I was like one of the best players in the game. I had, uh, you know, I was one of the richest players in the game. I, it, it was most of my free social time was spent there wow. in addition to uh, soccer and track that I did in school. So the reason I always bring up EverQuest is because that's how I learned how to be a CEO. There, you got to lead 72 people every night toward a really difficult challenge. You're failing all the time. You have group management, you have politics, you have strategy, you have failure, you have reward allocation. Uh, there's, there's a lot to it that I think really fits in with the nature of what it is to run any kind of organization. So I was really grateful for that. On the weekends, my friends would come over, they'd bring their PCs to my house and we would, we would buy an account on Friday, power level it through the weekend and then flip it on Sunday. Uh, so it's kind of like flipping houses <laughs> in, a, in a virtual sense. So that was a blast. Um, in college, I decided, or when I was applying to college, I decided that I already had some kind of basic business acumen. So I thought it would be good to supplement it with something more technical. Um, I loved science in school and thought engineering would be a great place to go. So I ended up going to Cornell. I started there as an electrical and computer engineer. And then about two years into it, my uh, one, what became one of my closest friends read in a magazine about this new major they were forming called information science. And it sounded just like me. And I read it and I was like, yeah, that sounds exactly like me. And I switched majors like two weeks later. Wow. So this was like an emerging major that's somewhere between like business engineering and human computer interaction, interface design, operations research, uh, those kinds of areas. And I took this one class that just really changed my whole life, which was, um, it was like a human computer interaction class. Read this book by Dan Norman called The Design of Everyday Things. To any designer who's out there who has not read this book, this is required reading. I can't open a door or use a faucet without thinking about the design of that damn thing anymore. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, right? It gives you a, 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 an incredible framework to think about how badly designed most stuff is that we use. So, you know, my fiance will tell you all the time, I, I can get, be very annoying with picking out all the details of things. Um, anyway. It's, it's amazing. You know, I think that, you know, one of the things that we try to do on our 76 Capital Leadership Series is provide of course, we want to hear your stories. We want to hear how you did what you did, where you grew up, what kind of made it click, but also how we can provide advice and help others. And I think that, you know, just you just talked about with, with sharing. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you say one more time, Sherry, the name of the book that you suggest? Yeah, it's called The Design of Everyday Things by uh, Dan Norman. And, I mean, it just, it, it's a life changer, or it was for me. That's so I knew... After I took that class, I knew that I was going to be involved with the design of internet products. Like that was it. I loved designing user stories and wireframes and like I was having so much fun with it. But the funny thing is, I ended up not doing that for many years. <laughs> I kind of took a different path and sometimes that's how life goes, right? You pick up a skill, you find something you're really passionate about, but maybe life distracts you in a different direction and then eventually maybe you come back to what it was you were passionate about. Or after Cornell, did you go right to Stanford? No, um, I actually worked for Goldman for two summers because what had happened was 
I was day trading with the money I made when I was younger in tech stocks. And I thought I wanted to be a trader. So I applied to be one and they said, well, you're an engineer. So why do you want to be a trader? Why don't we put you in this other role? And so I did that for a while. It was awesome. But when I realized that they weren't ever going to be able to move me, I was becoming too valuable in my role to be moved to a trader position. And while I did get to shadow traders on the floor and it was frenetic and fun, when I, when I realized kind of the path that I was going wasn't the right path, I thought, hey, why don't I go get a master's degree and then get a job after that as a product manager? So coming back to what I found passion, you know, that passion from Cornell, that's what I did. So I went to Stanford. Uh, I was only there for like nine months. I really crammed my master's into a very short period of time because I wanted to get back out into the working world. Stanford was awesome. And then I got a job at Zynga, like we, like we were talking about. That's amazing. So then, you know, you go on to Zynga and, you know, maybe tell a little bit the time you were there. I mean, you know, you, you were involved with Cityville, which was, was a really wildly successful game. I mean, how, what was that like, you know, going, you know, you're Cornell, Goldman, Stanford. Now you're at one of the hot startups in California and love to hear a little bit of what, that, what that was like. Yeah, so I joined Zynga. The choice was between Zynga and Facebook at the time. Um, I chose Zynga because I just saw this. I mean, both would have been amazing, but Zynga had this incredible opportunity. You know, social media was in a totally different place back then. It was like the Wild West. There were no rules. I don't know if everyone remembers their their newsfeed was totally different from what the newsfeed product is today. And, you know, it had, it had worse elements and, you know, like Zynga really took advantage of the fact that they could get all the viral posting of their friends and you bothered all your people on your feed for items and stuff. Well, it really worked. And so when I joined the company, they were in their old space and the company, I think was like 100 or 200, 300 people, still pretty small. And it just like ballooned like crazy. I joined two weeks before Cityville launched, which ended up being the biggest game on Facebook ever i believe and we were we were at like 20 million daily active users like real quick real real quick so even just the engineering feat of keeping the game up was incredible but they knew very early on that the way to make money was to continuously feed the game with content and new features so I think the design of the team was really effective where they had different pods and different product managers that managed some engineers, a designer, uh, a game designer, an artist, you know, these cross-disciplinary teams. And that was something I loved. I loved working across the different disciplines and then, you know, forming the vision, projecting how much revenue it was going to make. Then we were kind of pushing all of our stuff out into the game and then seeing how they hit and reporting against what we thought they were going to do. So it was very, um, it was very analytical. And I felt like it touched on a lot of different skills that I was picking up. And plus the ride that Zynga was going through at the time was so crazy. It was just, we were hiring a crazy number of people per week. We moved into that new space uh, on Townsend in San Francisco. There were a ton of smart people. The talent at the company was just incredible. Learned a lot. Unfortunately learned the pressures of kind of revenue versus fun in video games learned the dynamics of whales versus minnows and dolphins and free players and kind of the mechanics of free to play. That was new for me because the, the gaming background I came from was really hardcore. 
So to go to the polar opposite direction in super casual games right. was <laughs> different. Yeah. No, that's amazing. It's amazing. It's a it's a great story, and you know what a, what an amazing what an amazing um, experience that you had. Once again, um, if you just checked in, uh, you're tuning in to the 76 Capital uh, Leaderships Series. Um, I'm Wayne Kimmel. I have the CEO of Maestro, Ari Evans, uh, with us today, and you know we're you're at a great time if you just tuned in because Ari's going to talk about how he and, and you know after after leaving Zynga, what happened next. And I think that leads into what's going on right now. Yeah. So leaving Zynga. Alongside what was going on at Zynga, I also had another little startup that I had at the time, which was an electronic music blog, like an EDM blog. And when EDM picked up and exploded in the US, we were sitting in this like sweet spot with a big following. And so we had had an offer to join the Stanford Accelerator, StartX but it was gonna require full-time commitment to it. So uh, we, you know, we, we had gotten in and then we postponed it for a year while the whole, I was at Zynga and my ex-co-founder was at Hulu at the time. And we were both like eyeing, moving into this full-time. At a certain point, it just felt like, you know, if we're gonna do this, we gotta jump in. And what better way to do that than to join such a prestigious accelerator? So we did that and learned pretty quick that our blog wasn't really gonna be a big business. So it was time to stomach that and then try to you know, pivot and figure out what we wanted to do with it. We had all these relationships that were built in the music industry, music festivals, artists, management, agents, you name it. So we started building a, a product. For some people who are here, they might remember Turntable FM. It was sure. like a virtual DJ room thing. Okay, we built a competitor to that, spun it up, spun it down. Uh, and ended up working with music festivals on their interactive streams. And there were, there were no interactive streams at the time. It was just live streams, and those were very new. So me and my co-founder, Max co-founder, moved to Miami, and we actually launched with Ultra Music Festival. And that was the first time that we got to experiment with what an interactive stream could be. That went successfully. We ended up taking it to other music festivals. We did Coachella, we did the Electric Daisy Carnival, we did a bunch of stuff internationally. And, okay, well, how big is this market? Maybe it's not big enough. Maybe the revenue isn't recurring enough. Where can we go from here? Right. We, took, we tried to take it to musical artists. And back five years ago, they were like, or four years ago, they were like, what's live streaming? And why do I need this? Right? <laughs> we're gonna come back to this in a sec. All right, sounds good. So, you know, when that happened, we're like, okay, well, we need to find, we have this awesome product and there's other areas of content that are using streaming. And, you know, I've been a gamer since I was a little kid. So it's a crazy story. A friend of mine, he's a DJ and also a Street Fighter coach. Okay. Wow. He saw our product and he said, this is awesome for music, but you should take this to esports. And I was like, what's esports? <laughs> He's like, how do you not know what esports is, given your background? And he said, come with me to the Capcom Cup. Well, you know what? Let me interrupt you for one second. Yeah, yeah, please, please. So, you, you, you know, it's interesting. We, we, get this, we get this a lot. I mean, because you have the video game industry, you have the gaming industry, but then there really is a difference between just being, you know, playing video games and then esports. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I, maybe it'd be interesting for you to, to share with everybody the difference between these two things. Totally. When I was a kid, there was a movie 
called The Wizard that I watched. And it was all about like this kid who becomes like, you know, champion of a tournament in some video game. And I remember as a kid thinking like, is this happening on earth? Like, is this just a movie or is this like somewhere in the world? And you know, before the internet and all that, it was impossible to find where these things were happening. So when I, when I went to college, I kind of like stopped playing games for a little while. Like I stopped playing EverQuest cause I couldn't do that in school. And I guess I missed what was happening where esports was really coming together between, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but the competitive side of it, like truly tournaments, organized events, prize pools, all that was really coming together in the years of, I don't know, 2011 to 2016, maybe That's something right. like that, right? So I had sort of missed what was going on over there. But the esports, what separates esports from gaming, and there is like a spectrum is esports is really the phrase that we're using, some of us, to define the professional side of competitive gaming. If you're gonna be the top player, the top team at a game, you know, nowadays, minimum salaries, depending on the league you're in, sponsorship, depending on the league you're in, um, fame, right? Because right. all these big stars have fan clubs and that's a big that's a big thing too. It's It's really adopting the same model as traditional sports in that regard. That's, you know, there is a spectrum, like a lot of gamers maybe aspire to be esports stars, and that's definitely becoming more and more of a thing. <laughs> no doubt, right? I mean, look, you get guys like Ninja with sneaker contracts, right? I mean, exactly. exactly. So, I, you know, when, when coming back to like the story, he took me to see the Capcom Cup, and I'll never forget this moment I set foot, it was like the Bill Graham Auditorium in, in San Francisco, for those of you who know it. You know, I set foot in it, and my friend is like a celebrity in this community. Like, right away, people are like stopping him to take his picture. Like, oh, it's Gutex. Wow, amazing. And I'm like, who is, like, what is this? <laughs> it, you know, it was the same kind of experience that I had had in the electronic music world, like when I went to my first underground rave, where I was like, is this Earth? Or like when you go to Burning Man, you're like, is this Earth? You know, like just this light bulb moment that, wow, there's there's stuff going on in humanity that I'm not aware of that I want to be a part of. Right. Right? Like this immediate light bulb moment. If I had been a kid, I would have been at every single one of these events. Period. I know it. Because I was competitive. Right? I was at the top of my game in a certain game that I played. There just was no Twitch. There was no, there wasn't all of this infrastructure built up around it. So from that moment, I said, okay, we gotta be doing something here. I had a, I sort of saw where I thought this whole scene was gonna go. And my friend Gutex took me to meet with Capcom and they became our first customer like a few weeks later. Wow. And then within two to three months, which I view as pretty short period of time, we picked up Electronic Arts, ESL, PlayStation, and one or two others. So we're like, okay, seems like there's something here we're going to become an esports company now. And we did. Then we raised a new round of funding based on that thesis and uh, it's kind of just been building up since there. Well, it's really, it's really amazing. And, and I'm, I'm really excited to have you here um, with us, not only as just a guest today on our 76 Capital, um, you know, leadership series that we do here, but also um, super excited that this past week, um, we announced that we're also an investor in your company. Our team, uh, you know, at 76 Capital is really excited to be part of 
you know, the journey of, of, of Maestro uh, and, and everything that's happening with you. And, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, my, my chief of staff, James Santor, man, he just, he thinks the world of you and the company. And, uh, you. you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I'd love to hear is, you know, you're at this point right now where it's, you're telling the story of that you're, it, it's an esports streaming company, right? So, where did, how does that when you where did you kind of get to where it said wait a second this is more than that this is like the future of streaming this is the future of broadcasting and let's 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 get to let's get to that yeah it's a great question so we always had a pretty big vision for what we wanted to do but in 2016 or 15 when we decided that we were going to shift from music to something else we said you know, let's go do a shotgun approach and try a bunch of different verticals and see which one's going to stick as the beachhead. And then strategically from a go to market standpoint, we wanted to nail a beachhead and then use that to then open up other verticals that we thought we could get to. We didn't know how long that process was going to take. Right. But esports did become the beachhead. No question. So in fact, Maestro used to be called something different. And we named it Maestro because it would be more, a little bit more like generic. The idea behind the name is just that we thought we were creating a new job role, someone who's going to be the interactive director of the stream. And that's where a lot of these kind of concepts for what the future of broadcast is going to mean came from. So to answer your question, about two years ago, after we were really starting to assert our dominance for what we do as a leader in, in, in esports and interactive streaming, we realized that there's only so many esports publishers that we can sell to. And though, of course, we can increase their spend with us, and, and we are, we, have, we love our clients, and, and they're, you know, we're, all, we're, all the big guys. Everybody. Yeah, all the big guys. You know, we're working with Activision Blizzard and Epic and a lot of the other big uh, publishers out there. You know, it's been a great experience. But, you know, to, to be a VC backed startup, you got to keep figuring out what are going to be your growth plans and how do you keep going bigger. So it seemed like a very logical move, given the similarity and intersection between esports and traditional sports, to go in that direction. So we started working with um, different leagues, like we did a pilot with the NFL, we did a pilot with the NBA, um, and we started doing a bunch of stuff in soccer and, and other smaller leagues, like the U.S. Bowling Congress that you probably wouldn't think of, but they have an interactive streaming solution that's powered by us, right? So. I started to open up our eyes to what could be possible. Then someone came to us and said, hey, I want to take this to the faith industry. And we're like, what's the use case there? Oh, well, 20,000 churches are streaming their, their sermons every week. So why don't, you know, and we think it could be a very good fit for you. And I said, okay, um, sure, you're hired, go try it out. And next thing I know, there's like multiple churches that are customers. So we, we took a step back from that and said, okay, it's, you know, it seems like where everything is going, the future of the internet is video. That is unquestionable. You've probably seen all the charts that show how much time we're spending on video. And then the future of video is interactive. So who out there is gonna be the Squarespace or the Wix of the future of the web? That's the opportunity. That's what we're going for. If you think about WordPress, it powers 40% of the web today. Like all of all websites, period, about 40% of them are WordPress. That makes sense because the last 
phase of the web was text and articles and things like that. The next phase of the web is video. So we've expanded where we want to go much, much bigger. And that's why sometimes we say our product is like the hypothetical love child of Twitch and Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, again, it, it, it's, it's awesome to have you here um, on our, our 76, Capital, 76 Capital Leadership Series. Um, you know, Ari, this is Ari Evans, you know, from Maestro, would love to also hear now, you know, for, for some people who have just logged, you know, logged on and are watching this right now, I see a couple questions. Some people are saying, so I'd love to hear exactly what Maestro does and how could we use it? And if we want to, if we want to use it or for our, one of our companies, for if we're involved in the sports industry or esports world or other other things, as you were just describing, how do you use it? What is it, and what does it kind of look like? Sure. So, Maestro is, in short, kind of like a white label version of Twitch. It is an interactive video platform that you control. It has your brand. It's your audience. It's your data. You choose how you monetize it. And we, the way that the internet evolved so far was kind of like the brand, the content brands serve the platform brands, right? So like you give up your data and your identity to Facebook, to YouTube, whoever. Right. We want to rewrite the rules and have the platforms serve the content brands. Okay, so the power should actually be in the content brand to go direct to their consumer the platform should be this like invisible thing in the background that's just empowering you as if you built it yourself going direct to consumer. Planning your next corporate event or need branding apparel for your business? RushorderTees.com is Philadelphia's home for custom apparel. Rush Order Tees can handle any order on any deadline. Give them a call today at one 800 620 one, two, three, three, art designing online in their state-of-the-art design studio at rushordertees.com. Now, I could show a, a really quick demo if I can do that here. Should we, is that cool? I'd love that. I'd love that. That'd All be right. Cool. Let's do it. Let's get it going. Well, Ari, getting that together again, so happy that you got an opportunity to join us here on our 76 Capital Leadership Series, and here he goes. All right, let's get into it. So the first thing I'm going to do is kind of log in as if I'm a, a viewer so people can kind of see what that experience looks like. So remember, this is going to be a way for you to go direct to consumer, right? So let me just hide these things real quick. Cool. So this would be on overwatchleague.com. And we can drop in whatever video player that we want. This could be a Twitch player, it could be YouTube, it could be Facebook. We also have our own streaming service, which we use for situations where it's like low latency streaming, if you need betting or something else like that. While you're watching the content, you can also switch between these different panels. And we have a lot of different content and interaction that can happen here. Of course, you've got chat, which is very robust. One of the most popular features is this rewarding gamification system. You give people rewards in exchange for participating in the stream. If you watch for 60 minutes, if you visit the sponsor website, if you make, you know answer three polls, get predictions correct, whatever it is, then you can unlock a reward. 
which can be a physical prize, it could be a raffle ticket, it could be a digital item like in-game currency. So this is extremely popular. And we've got a whole host of panels I'll show you in a minute. Down here we have our channel select. So we can easily hop between different streams if there are multiple going on at the same time. In esports, that's very common, right? Especially before like a championship, there's just kind of like the lead up. And what I'm doing in here is I'm actually pulling in a very popular streamer, Dr. Disrespect, and his Twitch chat. So we're kind of taking that influencer and putting them into our little network, if you will. Now, when you're not live, because a lot of the time, most of the time you're not live. And right. so we want that experience to be really rich. So this is our kind of more like YouTube landing style page. And the beauty of the whole system is how it's administered. So it's very inspired by something like Squarespace where I've got my drag and drop editor. I can just go in there, change whatever I want. I can drop in a video. You know, literally all I need is a link from YouTube or Twitch and it will just play in here. So very easy to do this stuff, right? And the ease with which you can do it is gonna mean you're gonna do it more often. That keeps your site more fresh and keeps people coming back. Now, if we go into the main live experience where people spend most of their time, we have sort of a similar idea here for this edit mode, right? And the edit mode is Squarespace-y. So I'll show you what I mean. So when you click on it, you've got your different areas of the screen. Something we've uncovered is that you know if you're a broadcaster, it's pretty complicated to figure out how to add basic functionality to your broadcast. Like for example, if you wanna add a schedule, you probably have to build something custom. If you want like athlete stats or bios, if you want to do things like a leaderboard, if you wanna do multiple choice, polls, trivia, predictions, all this stuff usually you have to cobble together different solutions, whereas with Maestro, it's all baked in for you. And because we work in so many different verticals, we don't tell you what your experience should be. We let you decide what it should be, right? Right. So think of it more like the app store for video. Whatever features you want, you just turn them on with one click. If I wanted to add multiple choice to my channel, I click this button. It says, you know, add some polls. Here's my little CMS to add a poll. Add the poll. I'm done. Only took a few seconds. We like to say a monkey could be trained to do this. It's supposed to be that easy. That's and you can imagine tons of different developers building their own features that live within this ecosystem. That's where we're going next with this. It's incredible. It's incredible. And one of the things you mentioned, I mean, while we're still here, is you mentioned you can integrate betting into this. Um, yes. And, 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 and so it's like it's, all, it's literally directly within, the, within your viewing experience, correct? Absolutely. Um, for betting... I want to showcase kind of where what we're launching and where we're going, just as like a preview. So now, maybe we should just step back for one second while sure. we're, while we're saying this, right? So, in mm -hmm. yes to a lot of you out there, you can bet on esports, and it happens every day, <laughs> every minute of the day. Correct, right? Um, there's in in regulated markets in the United States today, um, where there's now over 21 states that have legalized sports states and municipalities that have a state uh, states and uh, areas that have legalized sports betting, you can, some of the states are now allowing you to bet on esports. Places like Nevada, you know, most recently with some, some things that they just, they just announced, um, New Jersey, um, and, and, and many, many more coming soon. So especially during this time right now, 
Uh, states are looking for revenue, um, allowing the, the books to do more. And they're looking for ways to, you know, the, the esports side of the world is looking for ways to integrate the sports betting into their, basically into their show, into their stream, into their broadcast directly. And this is pretty, this is pretty amazing. So I'd love to, love, love to for you to show everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good to kind of set the context because it really speaks to the historic moment that we're in. This was only really possible now because of the regulation and everything becoming more legal to do. So what we're going to use is like the tool for this is overlays where we're going to send out calls to action during the stream. The whole point is we want to get the audience to take an action at a key moment, right? So for example, I can push out a poll as the broadcaster and the viewers will see that. Or let's say I want you to share a key moment. Here's a, you know, share prompt to share a clip or a link, you know, back to the stream. What you're doing is you're capturing the emotional reaction and turning it into an impulse activity. For example, buying something. So here's your offer to buy a jersey. We would send that out at a key moment. And then you get the integrated transaction flow right here. Now, the way that we put these things together with sports betting is very similar. Here we have an example where there's a template, if you will, that looks like this, but it could look like anything. And what we can do is fill this dynamically with odds data. So for example, the name of the bet and the options as well as the odds. And then if you click on this, it would bring up the bet slip right there in the panel. So you never have to leave the page. You can see this one is powered by Betway, but it could be powered by anybody, any bookmaker. Right. And the overlays themselves can be triggered programmatically. So for example, you know, you, you define it however it makes sense for your show, right? Does it make sense to do it before the next match, before the next map? You know, and it looks very professional TV style, but it's interactive and the whole experience just is completely self-contained. So, uh, you know, again, this is this is so awesome and so exciting to hear. I mean, we have, you know, Ari Evans with us, the CEO of Maestro on our 76 Capital Leadership Series. And Ari, you know, we're talking about betting inside of esports, but the things that you do at Maestro, this game that we're all seeing on the screen today could be a traditional sports game as well, correct? Absolutely. In fact, let me show you an example of what that might look like. I mean, I, I told everybody that you're going to see the future of broadcasting, and I, you know, I'm I'm really psyched that you're, you're you're showing this to everybody. It's pretty incredible. And this is what's amazing is is that so many people, you know, really think that a lot of the things are what what's a lot of this stuff's not possible yet. I think a lot of even even a lot of uh, executives and people within the sports betting industry, um, within traditional broadcasting, they're they're just not they're not there yet. It's the, you were telling, you know, as you told a story earlier, Ari, about it, kind of about sort of seeing the future and doing the next thing. It's been you, what your career has been all about. It's about you and, and sort of thinking what's next. And you're about to show what's next right now. And it's pretty. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we are thinking all the time about what's next. It's take, I think it's been a, a little disappointing to see that the industry hasn't like moved as fast in traditional sports as maybe we all expected it might. But partially because of what's going on now with COVID-19, I think that there's a lot more experimentation going on, a lot more willingness to try these things. So what I want to show you next is something that really speaks to if we design live streams as an internet first experience and not as a TV first experience, 
this is where we go. Okay. Let's let's see it. Let's see it, right? Personalization, this word that we're talking about all the time in the industry. Most people say that you need to create like additional content, like different video for, for viewers, but I'm gonna show you a way that you can take the same piece of video but personalize the experience to the viewer. So first things first, let's say that there's a touchdown that happens, okay? okay. We can automate that. So you don't need a, per, a line producer pressing a button on a machine. We can just say, hey, we have this odds feed and whenever that happens, send out this overlay. Okay. But let's get smarter, okay? If I know that this viewer, this was their fantasy pick, then that audience segment could get a more personalized message. Hey, you just got six points in your fantasy league. Click here to view the standings. And this is powered by DraftKings or FanDuel or Yahoo Fantasy or NFL's Fantasy, whoever, right? It's open. Now let's say that you're in a country or state where betting is legal. Maybe that same moment has, it gives you the you know odds for the score at halftime. And then you click on it and there's the bet slip. So we take one moment that occurred, but then we interpret what the audience should see in real time based on what we know about you, what, what, what team you're a fan of, what your past betting behavior looks like, um, you know, what you, how we know you like to engage. And that's how we deliver this unique experience. It's all algorithmic, right? Wow. That is something we could never do in television for lots of reasons. Wow. So in, so if it's, if it can't be done in tradition, like in television, but you know, how will this in, in your mind, how will, what will ESPN, you know, Sunday night or Monday, I guess it's now ESPN is about Monday night football. I mean, it's all, it all, it's all going to change in a couple of years, right? I mean, in a couple of years, it's all up for grabs. So that's why this is so interesting. I think maybe, you know, again, one of the things that we do a lot on our, our 76 capital leadership series is really talk about, you know, what's coming down the pike and what's next, right? So what's next is with the NFL, the rights deals for broadcasting are coming up soon. And there will be some interesting new um, potential entrants into this, um, into this whole game. And there are some right now or they're doing some things that are more, a little quieter, but I'd love to hear your views on some of that as well and how this all could come together. Yeah, um, I have some pretty significant views on this. So the way I think that it's going, well, a big question that's come up for us is who is going to make the interactive content? Okay. This is actually kind of a loaded question. Should it be the league? Should it be the rights holder broadcaster? Should it be the last mile distributor, like whatever regional distributor partner it is? It's not totally clear, right? What I think is going to end up happening, if you had to ask me, is I think that the leagues are going to be the ones to create it. And then that's going to be a new interactive rights package that can be sold alongside the stream itself. Right? This is actually not new. The NFL did this. They sold the interactive rights to the NFL to Microsoft Xbox for five years. Uh, that deal ended it like a year or two ago. And they've been talking about this whole idea. Like, what is the new version of an interactive streaming package? And when you look at the direction of going OTT, like the NBA just announced a couple days ago, this big partnership with Microsoft, yep. where they're going to be designing the next generation uh, watch experience for League Pass. Well, you know, it's fantastic that they're going to try to consolidate the viewership through League Pass, but, you know, you can, you can count on the fact that there's still going to be regional distribution partners because the revenue is too significant 
And those regional partners need something that they can just take and turn key and offer it to their viewership. Now, the question of who gets the data is another big open-ended question. If I had to just show one last thing here, we've got our analytics dashboard that has an audience database in it. You'd be surprised, Wayne, we talked to so many organizations. Uh, I spoke to, to someone from FIFA the other day. They don't have a CRM. That's it's 2020. It's 2020. You know, we need a CRM system, and especially in the place where the audience spends the most time with you, that's especially the place where you need a CRM. So we provide one out of the box to our customers, but you know, who, who gets, who owns the customer? Is it the broadcaster? Is it the league? Is it the, you know, who who's going to own it? It's the same thing for when you have betting integrated. Right, clearly the user has to authenticate with their betting account. Okay, well, does the league know who that person is? Is there some exchange of that information? Because that's really what this is all about. It's all about, instead of looking at it from a content first perspective, we're looking at it from a people first perspective, right? And all of the action and activity that happens that's interactive is tracked, right? If you were selling a jersey, if you did something for a sponsor, if you did some betting stuff, you wanna know what's actually effective in driving the interaction and driving watch time and driving retention and driving these different elements, you need the data for that. I think we're getting much more sophisticated in our approach. In fact, I'll show you one last, uh, whoops, one last uh, slide, which is kind of mind blowing. You know, everyone wants to grow their audience, of course, but there's really two ways to do it. You can either get new viewers or you can retain old viewers. We're kind of all in on the get new viewers concept in the sports and esports world, but not so much on the retention side. Right. And the, which is strange, right? Because like especially in social games, retention is everything. I'd walk into the office every day, there's a TV with the retention dashboard on it for everyone to see and look at all the time. So like why aren't we doing that in streaming? It's it's because we come from TV. No one measures retention in TV. Right, that's not like not a thing. So, so just to, just to, real quick, I mean, again, yeah. our, just to, you know, talk about retention in the in the idea that what, what explain exactly what you mean by retention of of of, of viewers and, and 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 people who are acting, why that's important. Sure. Um, to put it simply, it's just what gets your fans to come back more often. Yep. If you get your fans to come back more often. You're building more brand affinity. You're probably making more money. You're attracting bigger sponsor brands. You know everything kind of unfolds from there. And you're not having to basically train someone up or get someone every single broadcast, every single right. time you show up. You don't have to explain. You know they don't have to understand the game. They don't have to understand. They're just they're there. They're fans. They're players. They're in, and they just can just go. And you don't have to you know take that time to to, to ramp them up. Yeah, look, I mean, in sales, everyone talks about how it's much easier to upsell an existing customer than get a new customer. Right. This is the same thing. If you already got, if you somehow managed to get someone to watch your content, wouldn't it be nice if you had tools to just get them to come back more easily and upsell them instead of spending a dollar or however much it is to get them to come back the next time, right? So what you're looking at here is the first time that a lot of our customers are ever seeing this data ever which is the retention from stream to stream. And then you can look at a cohort and say, okay, 
if the users engaged with this feature, did that get them to come back more often? And what was the difference? Right, so that's what the blue number is, is the logged in users versus the purple, which is all users. Now we're gonna, we're gonna make this even easier to comprehend later. But the idea is we wanna just tell you, hey, because you did this, you did X, Y, Z, you got a 20% lift in your retention and that lifted your baseline viewership by whatever margin it is. I mean, think about the alternative, what we're dealing with today. You just make some content, you see how it performed, you make some other content, you see how that performed. There's no understanding of what are like the levers that I can pull that can affect my metrics. Right. I, it's, I just think that, that this really opens up the next chapter kind of how we're gonna approach content creation. It's it's really exciting, and and it, it, this is exactly the kind of thing that I'm I'm really excited to again not only have you on our on our show here in our our leadership series, but also just have have uh, Maestro is one of the the new investments and and part of our portfolio of companies at seventy six Capital, and 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 it's 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 exciting to, to exciting to see this, and you know maybe kind of for the last couple minutes um, could be interesting for us to I'd love to just ask you a few questions about, you know, being an entrepreneur, right? I mean, what it's like to be an entrepreneur, um, it, you know, just, and everyone knows it's so easy. It's so much fun. It's just like a, right to the top, right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that how it works? Oh man. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> just dive right in. No, uh, entrepreneurship is one of the most challenging things you can do. It is also one of the most rewarding things you can do. I think you really find out what you're made of when you really try to put your, your heart and soul and your sweat and your tears into something for, for many years. You know, most businesses don't succeed and it is hard to find your footing. We've experienced lots of ups and downs, right? We've done everything from product pivots, market pivots, um, you know, and then, and then there's also the unknowns, right? Timing is one of the biggest factors that is hard to, to predict or control. Because I'm somewhat of a futurist, I tend to think other people are also like that and that the whole world's moving at a pace that's just not really how it's going. But then sometimes you get surprised. Like when the COVID situation happened, there's, um, there's like a, you know, there's all of a sudden a huge pressing need for interactive streaming. Right. Like that overnight. Boom. Right. I mean, here we are doing this all the time, all day long. Right. I mean, just, yeah, this is like what we live and breathe and, and, and tell people this is the future. But then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, wow, I need that now. Right. And you can kind of tell even from the sales cycle, we went from like, I don't know, four, six, nine month sales cycle to two week sales cycle. Wow. Right. You know, I've been told this all the time from from investors. I think entrepreneurs like to say sometimes that like, oh, we have product market fit, okay? Well, I think that product market fit isn't something that you say that you have. It is overwhelmingly obvious because it's like flying off the shelves and all of your time is just trying to like handle what's happening, right? That's what has happened because of COVID-19 for us. We're getting like you know, 10, 15, 20 inbounds per day and all of our time is just try to field what's coming in, <laughs> you know? So, and we changed our business model a little bit and we're just seeing like, oh yeah, it's like we're closing deals fast and selling off the shelves. So 
I'd say if I had to give any advice to younger entrepreneurs out there, I have two, two big things I talk about a lot. One is if you're just getting started before you build anything, validate, 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 validate. You can validate with a Squarespace page that you can create for 50 bucks and just market that a little bit and see if people want your service, right? You want to find a painful pain and you want to know how much people will pay you to solve the pain for them. And then, you know, hopefully that's for a, a decent sized market, but if it's not, then you either solve more pains for that market or you solve different pains for different markets that are adjacent to you. And that's a great expansion plan, which is kind of like the lean startup sort of approach. Um, and the second piece of advice is really all about, you know, trying to, trying to really focus on the metrics that are going to yield growth. Like, do you really understand what it is that's driving your business and how do you align your business model to the value creation? You know, don't try to, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pressure to like grow fast all the time. And especially if you take, you know, venture capital money, you should know that that's what you're signing up for. However, you know, we made the mistake once of trying to scale our sales team too quickly before I think we had really nailed the product offering and the price point, the whole thing. So, you know, you should make sure that you have a repeatable sales cycle before you really try to take off with it. Those are gr great pieces of advice. I mean, it, it, it really are. And, you know, the, one of the things that we're doing at 76 Capital, in addition to our leadership series, we're, we're starting a, a new series actually tomorrow uh, with an organization called BBYO, and it's called BBYO Online, where we're going to be talking with young people about getting into the sports industry, thinking about themselves as, as entrepreneurs and being an entrepreneur. So those types of ideas, maybe we'll have you on the show there and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, would love that. but And also just think about like the opportunities, you know, think about what are the opportunities in sports? I mean, just in sports in general, what we've seen at 76 Capital is that think the opportunities have grown immensely over the last few years. I mean, who would have ever thought sports teams that would have just, we talked about social media earlier, social media groups. Yeah. I mean, not just yeah. groups, like big, big groups. Oh, yeah. And then you said, I'm sorry. And studios, too. You know, like the Eagles have a huge like studio production professional. It's, it's really changed. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that and that's what's and that's the that those are the opportunities today. Those are some of the things that you would have never thought. I mean, yes, you can hopefully, you know, you're you're going to be a superstar and you'll be the next uh, LeBron James or whatever that is uh, in the in the future. Um, but like, you just never know. You just never know where what what you'll what you'll be um, in the sports industry. And like, this is a a great example. Of, you know, tonight, right? Tonight's a a big night here in uh, you know here in the United States where we've got. This, this new series coming out, Michael Jordan's Last Dance. Um, I think many of us are pretty excited to, to watch this, this series tonight to see what, what's happening, um, you know, what happened in his last run as a, you know, his championship run with the Bulls. And, you know, that was interesting. I mean, like it was, and again, it's like you were saying, it's about, it's about using video. It's about, you know, they captured a season of the yeah. bulls right back then i mean that was really really thinking really thinking forward but now imagine what you can do um currently now today with new tools 
um, with new ways of doing things. And, and that's why we're, we're super excited to, to be in the middle of this journey with you um, and, and help support you and hopefully uh, help you be really successful and be one of the, the great leaders um, in, the, in the overall world of broadcasting. Well, thank you, Wayne. It's, it's really been a pleasure working with you guys so far, just seeing the value that you guys are driving and the introductions that you're making for us and just helping connect us with other leaders in the industry. That's really what it's all about, right? Taking all the best thought that's being developed in the space and getting all those people together to push and accelerate things forward. So thank you for all you've done so far. And I think this is just the beginning. Well, it's just the beginning. We're really excited. And, and again, I just... You know, I want to want to thank you for joining. I want you know it's a you can get back to your family and have an, have, have, a, have a great day out there um, out west. I I have um, you know I, look I you know we'll, we'll all get through this whole uh, COVID nineteen situation. You know, and but as you said, while it's all happening and we're you know you're staying safe and you're doing what you got to do, but there's incredible opportunity. You know, I tell entrepreneurs and all of our CEOs, there's an opportunity to really, really think big, think about what's next, reach out to people that may have never, like you were saying before, you know, customers are closing sooner. They're, you know, it's not taking as long, you know, but also at the same time, I'm sure you're seeing lots of, you know, potential customers of yours that have really had an opportunity to open up their eyes and think about, wow, because they're, they're so focused on their, on their normal day to day that now this is saying, you know, Wow, what else can we do? And with, why don't we do this? But is there anything you know that you want to mention that is kind of one of those kind of things that has just sort of happened? Like, wow, I can't believe this. We're doing you know something right now that's really special. <laughs> well, I think that if I had to categorize what's happening from like a really broad strokes concept, we are like live streaming is becoming the quintessential communication medium of today. That's really what's going on. Like more so than telephone calls or, you know, written form. It's really like, I think streaming probably almost some huge percentage of the world population has probably seen a live stream in the last seven days. Yep. Right. I mean, like that's, that's really significant and profound. I think it will be a permanent impact on what's going on in the space. Some verticals are getting hit way harder than others. Like the live music space or music really pushed the revenue into the live space over the last, you know, five, 10 years. And then when COVID hit it, like dropped a bomb on the whole thing. Now I feel like, you know, in that space, we get to kind of rebuild it and make it more around the artists first and how they go direct to the consumer. So we're doing a ton of stuff with musical artists these days. Um, there's, there's concerts coming up soon. We'll be able to tell you who they are, but it's a bunch of big names you're going to recognize. We're really excited about kind of with our roots and music, how we're going back. And now we're able to help them just with the timing and the circumstance being different. Well, that's so. really amazing. Really excited again to, to be on this journey with you. Thank you. And uh, best of luck. Stay safe. And again, once again, Ari Evans, CEO of Maestro on the 76 Capital Leadership Series. Really appreciate having you and have a great rest of the day. Thanks. Same to you, Wayne. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. In Philadelphia, reputation is key. No one knows that better than RushOrderTees.com. 
Rush Order Tees has proudly printed high-quality custom apparel in Philly since they started in 2002. They take printing as seriously as their love for Philly sports, cheesesteaks, and that statue outside the art museum. No matter the order size or deadline, Rush Order Tees has you covered. Start your design today online or give them a call at 1-800-620-1233. RushOrderTees.com, Philadelphia's home for custom apparel.